We are in a summer series, uh, Pre-Decide. Uh, we've looked at uh, Pre-Decide to Decide by Trevor. Uh, we've looked at Pre-Decide to Have Joy in Suffering by Hunter. Then uh, last week, Lance spoke on Pre-Decide to Seek Jesus. Um, Doug asked me to speak today on Pre-Decide to Fight Temptation. And I'm just telling you, he picked the worst person in the world to ask to preach on something like that. Like he might as well have asked me to preach on how to walk past donuts in the teacher's lounge or how to get up and exercise at 4 a.m. for two hours every morning or how to grow long, luscious, Fabio-like hair. Um, You weren't supposed to laugh at that one. Uh, Here's the thing. The truth is I'm one of the worst people. You could turn to for the purpose of uh, learning how to predecide how to fight temptation. But the truth is, you are too. Uh, we all are. We're all fallen. We're all broken. We're all depraved. Here's the thing. If you don't believe in the fallenness and the depravity of man, come work at a school for a week. Right? I promise you, you will be well versed in that. Um, but the truth is we all know, we all know it's true. We're fallen. We're broken. Uh, that's why we need a savior, right? And and although, uh, I can't speak authoritatively to it in the sense that I've had great success, uh, fighting temptation. I know someone who has Hebrews 415 tells us, uh, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus lived a life in which he faced every type of temptation that we will ever face. Now, the temptations were in different forms, obviously, but he faced the same types of temptations that we all will face. And he faced it without sin. And so... I don't want to give advice from from my life on how to predecide to fight temptation. I want to look at what Jesus did. And so we're going to be in the book of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 4, and we're going to look at the temptation of Christ. And so I, I do just want to make a couple of comments here. First of all, I want to be clear. This was not the only time Jesus was ever tempted in his life. He was tempted all throughout his life. Um, we're given these specific temptations um, as a teaching point for a reason. But Jesus was tempted all throughout his life. He didn't just have to face three temptations and done with, right? Um, so let's jump into the text and, and read what it says. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority in their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall put the... You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for well, the worship service already. Um, Lord, I thank you for how you've stirred our hearts. And Father, I pray now that um, you just continue to meet with us. Father, speak through me. Um, Lord, prepare our hearts to receive your word. Encourage us where we need encouragement, challenge us where we need challenge, and draw us closer to you through your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we look back at this text, I want to look at a couple of things. I want to see um, two two things we can see from Jesus' example here, which will help us pre-decide to fight temptation. The first thing that I want us to look at is that he practiced spiritual disciplines. And then the second thing we're going to look at is Jesus recognized the traps. So he practiced spiritual disciplines and he recognized the traps. Let's look at the spiritual disciplines first. Um, let's jump back to the beginning of the text because many times when we're entering a text, we kind of breeze through stuff and don't really stop to consider all the weight that it has. Um, we kind of gloss over things at times. Uh, and if you go to the beginning verse, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So we see here that uh, that Jesus was full of the Spirit. Uh, if you read in Matthew, it actually um, it doesn't even use the term full. It just says Jesus was led by the Spirit. They use the passage, they use those two phrases synonymously to, to mean the same thing. And so here's the thing. When we're talking about being full of the Spirit, we're not talking about having more of it, right? Um, now, I know that we're talking about Jesus here in this passage, and Jesus never had a moment of salvation. But in regards to us and our relationship with the Holy Spirit, when we get saved... We receive all the Holy Spirit we're ever going to receive. Okay, It's not like we have a Holy Spirit gas gauge, and if we hadn't been doing what we're supposed to be doing, oh, I'm on a quarter of a tank, I better fill back up. No, that's not what it means. We have all the Holy Spirit we're ever going to have. Truly what that phrase means more so is we're led by the Spirit. It's not so much how much of the Holy Spirit do we have, it's how much of us does the Holy Spirit have. And so the way that we are led by the Spirit is by practicing the spiritual disciplines. It's by uh, spending time with our Savior. Um, the spiritual disciplines, Dallas Willard says, uh, said about them, said, uh, they are less of an activity and more of a place where we consciously allow ourselves to be in the presence of God. The pattern of Jesus's ministry in life was consistently to practice the spiritual disciplines in order to spend time with the father. You look all throughout Jesus's ministry and you see him doing things in which he is 
spending time with the Father. And so here's the thing. If the Son of God is having to do that, I think it's pretty appropriate that we follow that pattern, right? Because the truth is, um, if we want to be in a relationship with someone, if we want to allow someone to have influence in our life, we have to spend time with them. Uh, when Julie and I were dating, uh, way, way, way back when, when we were dating uh, at Arlington Baptist College, I wanted to spend every moment I could with her. And it wasn't because I was wanting to earn favor with her or, or check something off a list. No, I wanted to be with her. Like, like there was just something about it that I enjoyed being in her presence. Um, if I hadn't spent time with Julie, my heart would have never changed toward her. And, and here's the thing. After being married 27 years, we continue to enjoy spending time together. Because if you don't continue to spend time together, then your heart can grow distant from one another. And that relationship is no different than a relationship with our Heavenly Father. We have to spend time with Him in order to have that growth and that intimacy. Who we spend time with changes us. All those times your mom told you, you are who your friends are. She was telling the truth. She really was. Um, you know, I had a, we moved around quite a bit and, uh, when I was younger and we lived in a town called Snyder for a while and I, I picked, I had a friend that the truth is he and I did really stupid stuff together. We got in a lot of trouble together and I really didn't get in trouble with anyone else other than him. But he had that much influence in my life. And here's the thing, he's probably preaching somewhere this morning talking about some friend he had in junior high that was, you know, like, uh, it wasn't all him. When we got together, our chemistry was we were going to do dumb things. But because I spent time with him, that's kind of who I became and, and what I did. Um, I, I hate to talk positively about about Doug, especially when he's not here. Um, because, you know, sometimes when you talk, when you say something nice about someone, their head gets big. And if that forehead gets any bigger, there's going to be, like, there's going to be repercussions. There's going to be ramifications. It's going to have to get its own zip code or something. Um, but truly, uh, the influence that Doug has had in my life from sitting under his teaching to, to working with him, on a daily basis and working through strategy and planning and, and just sharing where we're at. Uh, he's not just um, a boss. He, he's a good friend, um, taking trips together. Um, we just do life together. And, and I'm telling you, my life is different right now than it was before he came in, in a very, very good way, in, in a very Christ-honoring way. Um the influence that people, or the influence of people you spend time with is amazing. And if you're never spending time with the Father through practicing the spiritual disciplines, you're robbing yourself. And you're setting yourself up for failure when you're trying to fight temptation. 
And here's the thing. Spiritual disciplines, they look different for each person. We don't all have to do things the exact same way. Um, so, but some of the things we can do, study scripture. Uh, we're going to see when we go back through the passage, Jesus answers each temptation of Satan with scripture. And, and so, and here's the thing. He didn't use the cheat codes. We know that he wrote the scriptures, right? But, but Luke 2.52 tells us that uh, in Jesus' life, he grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. There's something about the incarnation that uh, Jesus set aside some of his divine attributes for a time. And we see that he grew in wisdom and stature. That means that he studied, he learned. And so Jesus studied scripture. Jesus spent time in prayer. Uh, 25 different times in the Gospels, you see Jesus either praying in front of someone or stepping aside, leaving and going and praying by himself. But Jesus knew that the, the power and the importance of prayer in the relationship between him and his father. Um, another spiritual dis- discipline is praising, singing praise. We, we have a fantastic worship uh, band. We, we are led in praise every Sunday. Uh, you don't have to just praise here on Sunday morning though. So I'll be honest with you. Some of the, my most intimate times, my devotion time is listening to praise music by myself. And the Holy Spirit really speaks to me through that. So, so we can sing praises as part of a spiritual discipline. We can give, giving is a spiritual discipline which draws us closer to God. Lance specifically wanted me to mention this one, giving. (laughs) He's our executive pastor. He pays the bills. So, um, But giving is is a way, when we give with the right spirit, when we give with the right intentions, it aligns us with the mind of Christ. And then living in community, allowing people to be in your life and giving them the permission to speak truth to you, even if it's a hard truth, even if they're calling you out on something, giving them permission to do that, it's a spiritual discipline. It's something that allows the Father to work in us. All of these things are reflected in the picture that we have of Jesus in the Gospels. And all of these things we can emulate. When we are consistently spending time in the presence of Jesus through these disciplines, it makes it much easier to predecide to fight temptation. So, to predecide to fight temptation, we must uh, practice spiritual disciplines. And secondly, we must recognize the trap. Let's go back and look at the temptations that Satan uh, lays before Jesus. And each, and each one of these temptations, we see there's a deeper level to, um, what Satan is really asking than just what's on the surface, just what we read immediately. There's a trap underneath it. And one of the ways we can fight temptation is to recognize the traps that come with the temptations we face. So let's look at trap one. It says, And Jesus ate nothing in those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. 
And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So immediately our dieters in here are like, oh, no, Jesus, stay away from the carbohydrates. Right. No, you'll come out of ketosis. Don't do it. It it doesn't have anything to do with the bread. Right. And here's the thing. If eating bread was a sin, I just don't know what I would do at that point. Like, um, you know, we're not Catholic. You can't buy indulgences. I don't know. Um, I, I just don't know what I would do. Um, the best bread in the Dallas-Fort Worth area um, is in Tony's Pizza in Watauga. Um, yes, thank you. Um, I, I've taken several people there. We have eaten there for 23 years, um, and it is amazing. So just if you want to know, Tony's Pizza in Watauga. Um, Luckily, the trap really wasn't about the bread. It's not a sin to eat bread. We can all be, get off the hook on that, okay? Um, Jesus actually does this a couple of times later in his ministry. He multiplies bread and feeds uh, the multitudes. And so it's not that the bread in and of itself was a sin, and it's not that turning a stone to bread would be a sin. The trap was it would be Jesus breaking his commitment to fast until all the temptations were done with. Satan was trying to get Jesus to break a spiritual commitment in order to fulfill a desire of the flesh. And so looking at this as simply eating a piece of bread is way different than looking at it as Breaking a commitment to the Father. And so Jesus recognized the trap. And the thing that I want to point out in all of these, Jesus answered every single one of these with Scripture. Um, once again, coming back to the idea of Bible study. Uh, here, at our, here at TCS, our students have um, BMA, Bible Memory um, Assignments. And universally... Um, they come in every Friday when they're due. I'm so thankful I got to learn the Lord's word. <laughs> Th- that's not what they do, actually. Um, but I-, I will tell you, I've worked here 26 years now. One of the most common things I hear from students who come back and talk to us is I'm so thankful that I learned those scriptures. And I can't, there are countless times where um, students tell where they were in some type of situation and the Holy Spirit put some verse in their mind that they had learned in seventh grade BMA or whenever it was. Scripture memory is so important. Um, and, and Jesus answers every temptation we see here. He answers every trap with Scripture. So let's jump to trap two. It says, uh, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So there's this great discussion about if Satan actually even had the authority 
to offer these kingdoms to Jesus at the time. Um, and if he did have that authority, then how did he actually get it? Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot of really good discussion about that. And it's fun if you're a theology nerd. Um, we're not going to jump into that today, but what I would like to simply say is that if he didn't have the authority to give it, then it wouldn't be much of a temptation, right? And so, um, the next thing we see is he's offering Jesus something that Jesus is already going to get. Right. We can skip to the end of the book. We can read Revelation. We can see um, Christ returning and we can see him establishing his kingdom and we can see him reigning and ruling forever. And so if Jesus is already going to have this, then really, what is Satan offering him? What's the what's the trap? What Satan is offering him is. All of those kingdoms without having to face the cross. Hey, you think you're going to end up with all this stuff already? I'll give it to you now, and you don't have to do what the Father's asking you to do. Jesus recognized the trap. He saw that it was a shortcut, and he saw that that, that taking that shortcut would leave us without a Savior. So that's the trap that Jesus recognized. Then trap three. He took, it says, uh, and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so, once again, the question here is, what's the real temptation? What's what's Satan really trying to get to happen to here? Um, Such a dramatic display would have surely been an unmistakable sign that Jesus was the Messiah. Um, If he would have jumped from the, the temple There would have been thousands of people that saw him. They would have seen the angels. They would have seen it all. Um, Satan was basically tempting him to get followers for all the wrong reasons. Um, Over and over and over in Jesus' ministry, uh, people come to him and say, and ask for God to give them a sign or or for Jesus to give them a sign. And... um, over and over again, he answers them very cryptically. Um, and one of the ways he does answer them, he, when he does answer them, he always points to his upcoming crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, when they ask him for a sign, he says, I'll tell you this, and um, in three days you'll destroy this body, and in three days I'll raise it up. They misunderstood it to be about the temple. Jesus was talking about himself. Uh, Jesus gives the example of he's likens himself to Jonah, who's in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. Um, Jesus is always very cryptic about it. The trap that Satan has here is he wants Jesus to get followers to follow him, but for all the wrong reasons. Remember, after he fed the after he fed the multitudes, um, he had to escape from them because they they were about to take him and try to force him. To be a king. 
They were looking for the wrong type of Messiah. And drawing attention to yourself this way would have fed that, fed that stereotype that they were looking for and had not understood his real purpose. So, once again, Jesus recognizes the trap. And, and here's the thing. In, in these temptations, even something as small as bread, many temptations we face may seem small. But even if they seem small, there's still a trap. So, um, so recently, I bought my dream truck. Um, I bought a, if you'll put the picture up of my truck, this really has nothing to do with the sermon. I just want to show my truck off, right? Um, so, so this is my dream truck. I, I know this is probably no one else's dream truck in the world, but it's mine. It's a 1992 F-150 extended cab, flare side, four-wheel drive with a 5.8 liter engine and automatic transmission. Okay. That's my short description of it. Um, so, uh, I've always loved this body style. Uh, I have wanted this truck since I was in high school. Um, when they, when this body style first came out, I just thought it was awesome. And then one of the coolest guys in our high school went out and got this truck. And I thought it was even more awesome then. The guy, you know, he was Mr. Popular, Mr. Captain of the football team, this, that, and the other. Um, it's probably not politically correct to say anymore, but um, he would say this truck was always a chick magnet. Like, you know, um, and so um, here's the thing. I, I, I've got to admit, um, I've gotten a lot of attention driving this truck as well. Um, if you'll go on to the next picture. Nope. Go back. That one. This is the type of attention. This is the type of guy I get attention from driving my truck. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I'm, I, something about my truck attracts overgrown, scruffy rednecks uh, that want to talk to me about my truck. Um, I love the fact that Bob is wearing his Texas Tech stuff um, to to represent West Texas. Uh, tech being the Walmart of the Big 12, so, um, yes, just, that, that's free. I'm not even going to charge you for that one. Um, so here's the thing. Um, have, have you guys, how many of you guys, maybe some of you, the older guys, how many of you guys have seen the movie The Money Pit? Okay. Well, this truck is, is what they're basing the sequel to that movie on. Um, this truck has been a complete money pit. Um, as soon as uh, we, I bought it online, they shipped it to to me from Washington. Um, my, as soon as I got it, they they backed it off the truck. I drove it to my house. Um, my buddy came over and uh, he wanted to look at it, and so uh, his daughter was up here at play rehearsal, and so like, well, let's jump in and and go pick her up. So. So we take Old Blue, that's what we've named her, um, Old Blue. We take Old Blue up to pick up uh, Campbell, and Aiden's in the truck with us. And uh, things are great on the way up here. And then as we leave and pull out onto Randall Mill Road, it dies. 
Like literally haven't driven it two miles yet, and it dies. Um, and, and so for those of you who don't know, I live like um, eight-tenths of a mile from here. Uh, it took us half an hour to get home from there. Um, so here's the thing. I grew up poor. So pushing cars, that's just like another chore for us. Like, oh, you know, I got to take out the trash and I got to push mom's car down to the Dairy Queen. So um, I, I'm used to pushing broke down vehicles. Um, Julie and I have done just well enough that our kids were able to grow up poor around rich private school kids. And so and, and so they hadn't had to do that before. And so uh when we, we, I could get it to start and it'd go about a hundred yards or so and then it would stop. And, and so I finally got into the neighborhood and the front of our neighborhood is kind of a hill, then it coasts down. And so we got to the hill. I'm like, all right, Aiden, you got pushed, bud. You would have thought I was speaking Greek to him. I'm like, what? I don't understand. Like, get out and use your legs and move the truck. So, so he gets out, he pushes the truck, Campbell's in the back seat. She, she's, you know, comes for money. So she's like just head down and I don't know if she was embarrassed or scared or both or what. Um, Aiden's back behind pushing. Um, so, uh, that was our first experience with old blue. Here's the thing. We put a lot of money into this truck. I don't, I don't know exactly how much we've put in. I'm sure Julie could give you an itemized list down to the penny um, because she equates that to how much money she has to spend shopping. And so um, she has a spreadsheet. Um, and so we did a lot of stuff to it. We we addressed a lot of things. It was running really good. And Aiden and I were going to uh, head to Mineral Wells for a, like a father-son retreat thing. And I'm like, what a great opportunity to take old blue out on the road. Like this will be our first road trip. Um, the place we're going is kind of out on the river. And so we'll go four wheeling down there some and, and get to do stuff like that. And he's like, dad, it's going to break down. Dad, no, don't take it. It's going to break down. Don't do it. Dad, don't. And so first of all, because I'm stubborn. Secondly, because I'm the dad, I'm like, no, we're taking it. Right. We're, it'll be fine, son. Um, so sure enough, we, we took it, and we made it right past Weatherford before it broke down. And so you can go ahead and show that picture now. Um, there's Nostradamus over there after he had to push again. <laughs> and I'm talking like bumper-to-bumper traffic, uh, pushing on I-20, having to get it over on the side. He was not happy. Like, that was the best picture I could find, actually. <laughs> So, uh, so obviously it gets hauled to a mechanic. It had blown the transmission. Um, it, 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 we have a mechanic we use, and so I got it towed to him. We went up. Um, man, it, it took almost six weeks for for the transmission to get in and them get it done, and we had them do a few other things as well. And so uh, the mechanic finally calls me, and I get a ride, and I go pick up my truck. And I'm driving back, and man, it's driving amazing. I'm so excited. Um, we get home, we park, and uh, later on, Julie comes home, 
And we had to go run some errands. I'm like, all right, let's take old Blue so you can check out how she runs. And so she gets in, and I'm getting my seatbelt on, and she stops, and she goes, what's that? I said, what's what? She goes, what's that on the floorboard? So here's what you need to understand about my wife. When it comes to bugs or rodents, my wife can flip on her Sherlock Holmes hat like that. Like any place we go stay, we pull all the sheets back and she gets her camera out. I call it her magnifying glass because that's basically all she uses it for, you know, to check for bed bugs and stuff like that. And so um, she bends down and she looks, she's, that's a pecan. I was like, well, maybe one of the workers was eating pecans in here. And she's like, you think that the, that the mechanic doesn't pay his workers enough that they're having to eat rotten pecans? I'm like, I don't know. And so she whips into Sherlock Holmes mode. She gets down. She's looking around. There's some stuff over here. There's, she's like, you have a rat. I'm like, what? Like, you have a rat in this truck. And based on my calculations, it is an adolescent male and weighs 13.4 ounces and has a bad right hip that limps. Like, okay, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration. But, um, and, and the truth is, we started looking around and we did. Like, there was a rat that, I know, I know, there was a rat that took up residence while it was at the mechanic shop. It was, because while they were waiting on the transmission, they just had it parked back out in their field. And, and so... Um, that's obviously not acceptable, right? Um, and, and so we go and we buy some glue traps and we lay out glue traps for it. And I put peanut butter, um, like in the middle to try to, you know, they had to walk all the way in there to get to it and all that stuff. And so, uh, I set them out that afternoon and I was thinking, I'll check late tonight or in the morning. Like I happened to walk by 30 minutes later and, and the glue traps are already gone. I'm like, What? And so I opened the door super slow, you know, and I'm looking around and I see two glue traps trapped under the seat. And I can look just in the, I can look to see the rat's not there. So I pull the glue traps out and, and you know, it has hair stuck. All of it has all this stuff. Um, yeah, it's delightful. Um, and I'm like, glue traps obviously aren't going to solve the problem. So we go back and we get some of the big old, old school snap traps, like pop, you know, like break your finger if you mess up setting it tight. So I set one of those in there. Um, I come back later that evening to check it, wiped completely clean. Like this sucker was good. Like, so rat two, nil zero at this point, right? Um and so we're like, all right, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. So we took all four traps um, and baited them and laid them out. That night, I kid you not, all I dreamt about was rats and traps. Like, it was, it was terrible. Um, but I woke up the next morning, went out and looked, and finally we caught it. Um, and I'll be honest, we barely caught it. Like, we caught the... Portion of it, it was it was backing up, and I was going to show it. And Doug said, "No, don't show that. I don't want to get emails." <laughs> and so, um, if you want to see the rat, see me after service. Um, but we here's the thing about the rat. Um, why am I telling you all this? 
other than it's a really good story, right? Um, I, I'm telling you this because either the rat didn't recognize the trap, or if he did, he thought he could keep beating it. So after we caught the rat, I, I looked around to make sure there weren't any other rats, and we left traps in there for a whole other week. Um, but but I, look, I got in the truck, and I looked, and I think I found the path how the rat was getting in and out. And, and here's the thing. It wasn't an easy it wasn't an easy path. It took a lot of work to get to it. And, and I could tell the rat was coming in and out of it even when it was at our house. And, and so here's the thing. We... We live on the back row of our neighborhood, and then back behind us is the whole Trinity River Basin. Like, that's rat paradise, right? Like, that rat could have left there and been like, oh, I got to heaven now, and like gone and had met a girl and had rat babies and ate well down at the pond and all that stuff. But it didn't because its comfort zone was my truck. And... It didn't recognize, it either didn't recognize that all that peanut butter wasn't manna from the sky. <laughs> like, it didn't, it either didn't recognize that we were trying to trap it or it thought that it wouldn't get caught. Here's the thing. We're no different than that rat when it comes to the temptations we face. Sometimes we don't recognize the trap. Sometimes we just go head first and and jump in. Other times, we do. We do recognize the trap, but we still choose it because it's comfortable or because it's a coping mechanism that we've learned. That's why we have to have both spiritual disciplines and the ability to recognize the trap. Because spending time with Jesus will help make us uncomfortable with the traps that we've become comfortable with. Spending time with Jesus will help make us uncomfortable with the traps that we've become comfortable with. And so here's the thing. Um, If we stopped right here, for many, this would just be another try harder, pray more. Here's three points to help you with. Temptation type thing. And and when I first started um, studying for this, I looked up a lot of really great sermons and messages and articles on how to resist temptation. And there's a ton of great information out there. But if we're not honest, what we allow that to turn into is just religious moralism. Just, hey, do better. And the truth is this, if we could just do better, there wouldn't be a need for Jesus, right? And so um, I was talking to Doug about this, and he um, he brought back up Romans 5, and I share this almost every time I speak. Romans is my favorite book of the Bible. Um, it's, it's really written like um, a legal argument. Uh, there, there are law schools that have broken down the book of Romans to see how to build a case. Um, and in that, Paul writes this. In Romans 5 verse 8, he says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Here's the thing. God calls us to fight temptation. He doesn't call us to conquer it. We can't conquer it right now in this lifetime. We can fight it and we can improve and we can work through the Holy Spirit, but it's not going to be conquered until we die or until he returns. Okay? And here's the thing. The same God that loved us when we were in our sin before salvation is the same God that loves us in our sin after we're saved. It's, it's not an excuse to sin. It's not a free pass. It's just simply the truth. God knew that we're fallen and broken people, and he chose to give his son for us anyway. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation in those who are in Christ. What an amazing verse. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. John MacArthur said, On the cross, God looked at Christ and saw you. Now, he looks at you and sees Christ. I stand here today before you, righteous, sinless, perfect, not because of me, but because of the blood of Christ that bought me. And yes, I still struggle and fight with temptation now, but even those mistakes have been forgiven and bought and purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I want, I know there's probably someone in here, you're struggling with, with something and, and you can't get victory over it. And here's the thing, I've been there. I've prayed at this altar over and over and over again. God help me. To not be angry. God help me not to be jealous. God help me not to lust. God help me not to do so on and so forth. And I've gotten back up and sometimes there's been victories and sometimes I fail the next day or the same day. But in all of that, there's still no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And here's the thing. Grace is so radical in that way. One of the common objections is, well, does that mean that we can just sin rampantly and it doesn't matter? Paul actually addresses this because that's what people were saying to him. They're saying, hey, if all this stuff you're saying makes is true, then we can just go sin and it doesn't matter. He says, no. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? No, may it never be. What Paul's trying to tell us is this. A proper understanding of grace means that we run to the Father when we sin. That goes completely against human nature. When we mess up, when we fall, when we fail, we want to hide. We want to um, bury ourselves. We want to run away from the Father. And that's when we get trapped into falling back into those same old traps and those same old things that we've done over and over again to help um, pacify us. A pure understanding of grace means that when I mess up, I run to the Father. 
and he accepts me and he loves me and he draws me in close. And it's because of that, it strengthens me and it helps me to see what the trap really is. I'll share this last verse and then I'll turn it over to the band. It says, Philippians 1 6, Paul says, I, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Doesn't say that we're going to bring it to completion, it says that he is. Keep fighting. Keep practicing spiritual disciplines. Keep looking for the traps. And keep running to the Father even when you fail. Knowing He is going to complete in you what He began in you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your goodness to us. Father, I thank You. Lord, I just thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your Son who gives us an example and Lord, we we know that we can't follow that example completely. And because of that, we thank you for the grace that we receive in your son. We thank you for the righteousness that we have in him. Father, I pray for those in the room today. I, I don't know if there's someone here who has questions about what it means to be in Christ. Lord, there's others here who no doubt are struggling with um, with some type of temptation or some type of struggle. Lord, speak to them as well. There's some in here, the Lord, they just need a refreshment. They need to hear from you today. Father, whatever the reason, Lord, meet with us right now. Don't let this just be a closing to the service. Don't let this just be... Um, you know, something to tell us we're almost done. Father, meet with us now. Stir our spirits in worship. Lift, lift us to you in this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.